You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. We love him because he first loved us. For God is love and his perfect love drives out, not some fear, all fear. All fear. We don't longer have to be slaves to fear for God has set us free. Amen. You may be seated. We want to thank our worship team. They did a fabulous job. They led us in, in, that last, in that last song, No Longer Slaves to Fear. We're going to talk about just the harmful nature of fear and how oftentimes it's not grounded at all in reality. It, it, it grows and it becomes something that is no longer true. It, it, it might have started off like a concern and then it, it becomes a hurricane of, of fear and uh, anxiety and, and, and it, gets, it gets really out of control in terms of the way that we uh, perceive it, the way that we perceive it. And so we'll talk more about that here in a little bit, but first, um, I wanted to pray over our, our team that's gone to Belize. We have a team from Foundation that went over to Belize, check on the, uh, on the boys' home that we have there uh, through our eye care ministry and partnered with, uh, with Dr. Phil and, and Stephanie and, and the ministry that they've started there. So let's pray for them. Also, did we pray for the offering? I want to pray for the offering as well and remind you that, that God says, bring, bring your tithe, bring your offering to the storehouse. I, I want to make a, a a quick little point that it doesn't say give your tithe. Give implies that it's yours. Bring implies what? That it's his. So you're just bringing it back. And, uh, and that, that's a small point, but, but it has huge consequences. Because when you bring your, your, your giving, you're basically saying, Lord, would you redeem the other 90%? And some folks have been asking me, Pastor, how do we how do we handle finances to where we can, can have a greater blessing? I said, you don't handle them. Let God handle them and teach you how to handle them. Uh, and, and I've learned that that's how you do it. You give it to God and you say, Lord, I'm going to put you first. And he, he gives you permission to test him on it. So if there's someone here that wants to see if it works, I want you to take up, God up on his deal. He has a deal for you, and he says, test me. See if I'm, if I'm not able. Matter of fact, I want to prove myself to you. I want to prove myself so that you can begin to trust me as Jehovah Jireh. In the Old Testament, they called him Jehovah Jireh. Jireh means the God who provides. He is the God that provides. And so if someone's here today and you're wondering, Lord, will you provide for my circumstance, for my situation, I want you just to take it up with the Lord and, and, uh, and let him show you who he is. Amen. Uh, let, let's pray and, and thank God. And, and let's also ask him for traveling mercies for our team. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this day. And we ask you, Lord, to be with the team that is in, uh, in Belize right now. They left yesterday. They arrived there yesterday. And we ask that you would watch over every aspect of their trip and that you would bless it with your favor. And then, Lord, bless our tithe and our offering, Lord, that we bring to you. We return it to you, ask you to redeem that which remains in our hands, stretch it, multiply it, 
And God, teach us how to honor you in our lives through our finances. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, we have a lot to cover today. We've been in the middle of a sermon series about worship. And something interesting about this series is that since I started it, I've been sensing a lot of just, just spiritual turmoil coming against me, you know. And, and I'm not the kind of guy that looks for devils under every rock, behind every bush, that kind of thing. But I am spiritually sensitive enough to know, whoa, something's a little different. I'm not a rookie pastor, meaning I'm not up here, you know, like, oh, this is my first big sermon series and I'm feeling all the nerves. You know, I've, I've done a lot of preaching. And so it's not nerves. It's something spiritual. That can only mean that God wants to bless our church. He wants to bless my life. He wants to bless your life because there's something special about worship. Now, Pastor Melissa says breakthrough takes place in Think about that. Breakthrough takes place in worship. If we've said that worship is defined by connecting with God, connecting with God in relationship, that means serving Him, knowing Him, coming close to Him, being, being, being united with Him, then that connection brings about peace. It brings about peace. Think about this with me for a second. Connecting with God puts you in a place of peace because when you're in the, under the shadow of his wings, there's peace there. There's protection. There's provision. And as, at his right hand, there are blessings evermore, the Bible says. That means there's no better place to be. And so I want you to understand something real quick with me. We started off the series talking about Moses in the book of Exodus being told by God to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let God's people go that they may worship him. So God wanted his people to worship him. Do you know that's the same reason Jesus Christ came? So that he would demand and declare to Satan, let my children go that they may worship me. So in a sense, God was playing out in physical terms what Jesus would do in spiritual terms when he would come to the earth. And so Pharaoh was the most powerful ruler of the earth in physical terms. Moses, the Bible says, was the most humble man to ever walk the earth prior to Jesus Christ or besides Jesus. He came to Pharaoh with a message from God. Jesus comes with a message from God. He goes to the ruler of this world, which is Satan. You go, whoa, wait a minute, pastor. Is Satan the ruler of this world? 1 John 1, 5, 19. Satan and this world is under the control of the evil one. Okay, So Jesus comes to the controller of this world and says, let my people go that they may worship me and my Father. And so when we walk out of darkness, we go from darkness to light, death to life, and from slavery to freedom. Freedom. And so there's so many parallels there. And so you have God's people coming out, and all of these things are taking place. And this is why Jesus in John 10.10 says, The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it in the fullest way possible. And to have full life, abundant life, is not determined by how much stuff you have or the status or position or popularity or possessions. It's determined by the peace in your heart. And peace can only be found 
with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we'll talk more about this. And so you say, well, pastor, wait a minute. If I've already been saved, then how can the enemy really steal or, or really come against that connection between me and God? Why would he do that? Why? I'll tell you why. Because he might not be able to, to affect your eternal assurance and your eternal uh, place in heaven, but he can make you miserable here on earth so that you are a bad witness to everybody else. That's what he's trying to get you to do. So how many people are going to want what you have if you walk around totally wrecked, broke, busted, and disgusted? And so no one's going to want what you have, and he can destroy your relationship with God where, yeah, you get to heaven, but... But you were, you were no good in terms of bringing him glory and honor here on this earth. And so I want you to think about this with me for a second because this is big. And I'm going to cover four main ways that the enemy interrupts and breaks and tries to sever your connection with God and your worship with God so that ultimately he can affect your peace. Four main things. Today we'll cover three. Next week you're not going to want to miss. It's the best one of all of them. But today I'm giving you three for the price of one next week, okay? So stay with me on this because we're in the book of Numbers. Now, I want you to think about what's happened. They've come out of Egypt. A lot has taken place. 10 plagues, they come out of Egypt. They come out of Egypt wealthy. Wealthy, the Bible says. God said, I'm gonna bring you out and you're gonna plunder Egypt. How are you gonna do it? You're just gonna simply ask them and I'm gonna move in them and they're gonna give you everything they have. So they said, hey, we're leaving now. Can we have what's ours? And Egypt just started giving them. So they come out, weighed it down. Then Egypt decides, we've changed our mind. We're going to go after them. They're up against the Red Sea. God splits the Red Sea. Now let me ask you this for a second. If God split the Red Sea for you, how good would that be for your faith? Would you be good for like a year? I'd be good for at least a year. Come on, if God split the Red Sea and you were about to die and you were like just, just holding your breath and closing your eyes knowing that the spear was going to pierce you at any moment you were going to die and God splits the Red Sea and says, walk. And then you're like... <laughs> as the walls of, of the sea are held back by God's mighty breath. And you're walking on dry land and you're seeing what no one has ever seen because no one's walked on that piece of ground because it's sea. And then God crushes your enemies behind you. Would you not fall to the ground and go, oh God, I'm good for a year at least. One good year, Lord. I mean, right? Instead, look, the truth is they go to the mountain and immediately they start worshiping the, 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 the golden calf. We read that. We, we covered that. Then after the golden calf incident, they see the mountain catch on fire. They see, or, and, and this whole thing is taking place. God is speaking to them. This is the Lord. I have no idea if that's the way God sounded. I wasn't there. Y'all look at me like, really? I have no idea of that. But to me, when I hear God's voice in my head, it's kind of like James Earl Jones. Come on, is, am I the only one? It's just like that deep voice, this is God. You know, and you're like, oh, yes, Lord. And so um, 
They see all of these things. And then God says, okay, he gives them the law. We've covered the law, the rituals, the, the priestly requirements, all of those things. And then he says, it's time to go. And they're not on the road. See, this is something interesting because we've been told and we've been taught in Sunday school that they were in the desert for how many years? But it hasn't started yet. They're just now kind of getting to it, and they've had so many things. They should be good. Come on, how many of you know you, they should be good? God is feeding them from heaven. God is warming them at night. He's keeping shade over them in, during the day. He's taking care of their every need, and he says, okay, come on, it's time to go to the border of the promised land because I have an assignment for you. And on their way there, it's only been a few days, they start complaining. Hello. Any, any complainers in the room? They're not going to admit it all the time, guys, so you might have to, like, look at them. I'm just kidding. We don't do that. We don't do that. But, but watch. Numbers chapter 11, this is how it goes. Now the people complained about their hardships. What hardships? God's feeding you. He's shading you. He's warming you. He's there with his presence. He saved you from all your enemies, and he made you rich in the process. What hardships? Can I tell you, it's just part of human nature to complain. Just complain and whine and moan and go on and on. So they started complaining in the hearing of the Lord. What does that mean? That means they were in God's presence. Why? Because God was with them, remember? I will live among you, God said. I want to be among you. Come on. He's not just among us anymore. He's in us. And when two or three gather, Jesus promises to be in our midst. So be careful about your complaining. Because God could hear it. He was close. And watch what happens. Then the fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outer skirts of the camp. So God goes, and just like from the outside. Can you imagine if we were some complainers in this room? Y'all on the outside, you'd be toast. Just douche, we start losing some of them. Everybody starts scooting in. Moses falls on his face, right? Come on. How many of you are glad we don't live under the old covenant? Be burnt toast right now. We don't live under the old covenant. You say, but, but pastor, if we don't live under the old covenant, then I have nothing to worry about. No, 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 no. The Bible says you should be grateful for what Jesus does. Because it's Jesus who covers you. Because you haven't changed. I haven't changed. I'm a complainer just like them. Why do you say it like that? Because like at any moment, it could just like, if it wasn't for Jesus. Thank goodness for Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you cover that complaining. You cover all of that whining. You cover me taking you for granted. You cover things never being good enough. And when you bless us, then we always want more and more and more and more. And you just keep covering it. And you keep allowing us to be in your presence. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed and the Lord and the fire died down. So the people started crying out to Moses, and Moses goes, Lord, please. This is where you see Moses most of the time. You see him on his face. On his face. And he cries out, because Moses is a good leader. He's a good man. He's a good dude. I mean, this man is special. 
And he cries out for his people. And God stops. You know, this is... This, this thing about not complaining, it's biblical throughout. Even the New Testament says this in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 14. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, complaining, whining. Can we just put that up in our homes? I think like I need to put that in my children's area, you know, where my kids hang out. No complaining. There's nothing to eat. What do you mean there's nothing to eat? You got an entire fridge full, pantry full. Yeah, but there's no Chick-fil-A today. It's closed on Sunday. (laughs) Closed on Sunday. You're my Chick-fil-A. Then look by verse 4 of the same chapter. They're at it again. Like they forget quick. And they just go like, he started on the ends. I'm going to make sure I'm not on the ends when I do my complaining this time. Because the rabble with them began to what? Crave other food. God, I know you're feeding us from heaven, but we're tired of it. It tastes bland. There's not enough variety. I want a lubies, Lord. Hook it up. Right? Some of you are lubies. What's lubies? We, we want a cafeteria. We want to be able to choose what we want. We want meat. And, they, and you go, what's a rabble? A rabble is, um, is a rowdy crowd. How many of you know in every big crowd there's a rowdy crowd? Do you know that? How many of us were part of the rowdy crowd? You make careful what you say. Because this is a consuming fire type of God. This is Old Testament God. He's old school and this, he doesn't play around. So watch what happens. If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. What do you mean at no cost? You were slaves. Are you, are you, are you like not right in the head? You were slaves. You paid for it with every ounce of work, everything you paid for it. They fed you so you wouldn't die, so you could keep being a slave. So watch this. Also, cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic. Oh, man. And so God says, you know what? I'm going to give you meat, but you're not, and you're not going to eat it for just one day. I'm going to give you more than you need for not just one day, not just two days, not just three days, not just four days, not just 20 days. You're going to have it all month long. You know what? I used to be a missionary when I was at my first, very first job. I was a freshman in high school, and my dad took me to Mildred McCorder. She was the WMU regional director for the Southern Baptist Convention, and she ran all the mission work in Houston, Texas, and there was four centers on the east side that was East, West, North, and South. On the East side was the Joy Fellowship Center, and they would host mission groups from all over uh, the world, really. And they needed some local kids to kind of run the center, teach the groups, and, and, and organize them, and just be a part of the group. Um, so that was me, me and my brother. And we got to eat for free. All you can eat at the Gano Fellowship Center on, in the North side. They would Take us over there. And man, we thought it was a fabulous thing because when you're a teenage kid, you can eat. But someone had donated all the ham, like, I mean, there was so much ham. 
And at first, we were eating ham for breakfast, right? Because we go up there for breakfast, we go for lunch, we go for dinner. You can go anytime you want. So we would just even get up there and, and we would go. And man, we were eating ham and we were eating uh, pork chops and we were eating bacon. and we were, I mean, it was great until about the 14th, 15th day. And all of a sudden, it's like ham again. By the 30th day, we're like, man, we'll eat anything but ham. Oh, you would just smell the ham. As soon as you drive up and you smell the ham, you start feeling sick. So God says, by the 30th day, by the time I get done with you complainers, you're going you're gonna to bring the ham up, not the ham, the meat back up through your nose. How does that happen? Can I help you out with that? When you throw up hard enough, it comes out of your nose too. And God says, I'm going to make sure you remember you're complaining. And so he got, so Moses kind of says, Lord, how are we going to do this? And there's not enough food to feed these people this much. We got a million folks here. And God says, do you think my arm is too short, Moses? Let me show you what I can do. And he sends quail and they just start dropping from the sky. And they have to go out and get it. Now watch, when they already have the law by now, where, did they bring God his part? Well, it came from God, so we don't have to bring him his part. Did they say thank you in any way? They didn't even acknowledge God. They just went in. They went in and they gathered and they gathered and they gathered, came back, immediately started eating, cooking and eating, 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 eating. God was so angry with them that while the, the, the meat was still in their teeth, those that were the troublemakers that started it, the rowdy crowd, fell dead. Some of you are like, dude, this God does not play around. I'm so glad, I'm so glad he changed. <laughs> Can I remind you something? The Bible says he does not. He is the, de- the same yesterday. yesterday, today, and forever. Then what changed? Oh, we changed. We're so much better. We never complain. We never forget to say thank you. I always praise the Lord prior to eating. No, Jesus changed it all. Jesus changed it all. Say it, Jesus changed it all. You are under his blood. He no longer sees you the same way. He sees you through the lenses of his blood. Jesus' blood washed you white as snow, and now he sees you that way. But don't take it for granted. And so, so all of these things take place and, and I just want to remind you that the New Testament teaches us this too. In the book of James, the Bible says this, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Uh-oh. You said, but you just said we're not going to drop dead. Are you trying to threaten me, pastor? Are you trying to, like, scare me? No, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to show you how serious complaining is. You may not drop dead physically, but other things die. Your relationship with God dies. And I'm not talking about dies forever, but your closeness will be, will be interrupted. Not only will your closeness be interrupted, but your worship and your connection. And a lot of times people are saying, Pastor, I just don't feel that fire I once did. I just can't seem to get, I can't get direction. I can't seem to connect with the Lord. Something's missing. Maybe it's complaining. Maybe complaining has severed something. 
Because it still brings about death. It may not bring about physical death, but it will kill your peace. It will kill your joy. It will kill your relationship with others. And it will kill your enthusiasm for the house of God. And so you want to be very, very, very careful about complaining. The next thing I want to talk to you about is familiarity. Familiarity and, and the trap of familiarity and dishonor. And the reason I called it that is because by the next chapter, you see something very, very interesting. You see Miriam, Miriam and Aaron, they begin to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. For he had married a Cushite. And then they said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. So what's happening here, you go, who are these people? Very, very simple. That's older brother and older sister talking about younger brother Moses. Okay. The trap of familiarity is what Jesus said when he said, a prophet always has honor, except in his own hometown, among his people, among his kinsmen, among people that are familiar with him. Why? Because they're family. And family tends to think, oh, that's just little Jesus. That's just Moses. That's just Moses. You have to be very, very careful with this because at what point does it cross over into being familiar, too familiar where it becomes dishonor? And dishonor is when you, when God takes notice of it. And it's interesting because I, I, I am not like Moses. You're about to hear what God says about Moses. Let's just read it. So verse 3, it says, Now Moses was, was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Because God was doing something with Moses. He was representing what he would, what he would come to do through Jesus Christ in a grand way, setting us all free from the law of sin and death. And so Moses was an exceptional man. How many of us, you know, would love to be like, more like Moses, but we're just not? I, I know I'm not. But it's interesting, you can still learn from the characters in the Bible. You know, it's been said that a wise man learns from his mistakes. A very wise man learns from the mistakes of others. So you can be a very wise person by just learning from, from these things. And I do see some, some things that I've gone through. Let me share it with you this way. At first, someone might be very, very uh, excited about the church. They're, everything is going well, and they'll be like, Pastor Chris, we just appreciate you so much. Pastor Chris, we just thank you. Pastor Chris, but just let me do something they don't like. It doesn't even have to be like, like sinful. It just has to be, I, they didn't agree with all of a sudden. Well, Chris, I don't know if we're going to be coming anymore, Chris. I said, what happened to Pastor Chris? Now I'm just blame old Chris. See, it's interesting because you'll see the change in their talk in a minute. You'll see the change in their talk in just a minute. Right now it's just Moses. Oh, who says Moses is in charge? Why is Moses in charge? Aren't we just like Moses? And how many of us know that God loves us all the same? They are absolutely right. God loves them just the same as Moses. But there are different assignments, aren't they? There's different assignments. I can remember when my dad would give us boys different assignments at, at home. And it didn't matter about age. Sometimes he would put the little one in charge or the middle one in charge. Or he would just put different assignments. And on one particular occasion, I guess he, he thought I needed a humbling. 
Because he put Aaron in charge. And then because he was in charge, he got to ride in the front seat the entire week. And so I come along and I call shotgun. How many of you know dad doesn't know what shotgun is? And, and so I said, shotgun. And my brother goes, I'm sorry, Chris, but dad put me in charge. Who are you? I called shotgun. No, I think I'm going to go ahead and, and sit in the front seat. I don't want to get in trouble with dad. I go, poof. I'm bigger than so poof, just right in the nose, bam. And I, I jump in the seat and I sit down and my dad comes in and he sits down. And he goes, what are you doing? Oh, I call shotgun. He just looked at me. Aaron, why aren't you sitting in the front seat? He punched me in the nose. <laughs> Didn't matter that we were on Main Street Bastrop. He comes around. He takes his belt off. I won't tell you what happened next. <laughs> but what I'm trying to tell you is that this is what's going on here. They don't understand that there is one greater than Moses that's in charge. Come on, how many of us need to understand that God has different things for us to do and sometimes we go from being family to being too familiar and dishonoring and that will break your worship, connection with God and ultimately your peace. Ultimately your peace. You say, Pastor, is that about you? It's not just about me. It's about any, any authority in your life. It's about a father, mother, grandmother, any authority we have to be careful I'm guilty of it we're all guilty of it and so we need to pray so watch what, what the Lord says he says I need you guys to gather at the tent of meetings I'm going to come and meet with you I got something to say to you so he shows up verse 6 listen to my words when there is a prophet among you I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against? Why did you find it so easy to disrespect him? And when you disrespected him, you disrespected me, the Lord said. Watch what happens. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease against the law. She would be removed from society. Removed from society. This was going to be a very, very painful thing. To, to live out her days in isolation. Now watch what happens. And he said to Moses, please my Lord. What happened to plain old Moses? Now it's Pastor Lord Moses. Please do something. You know, it's interesting because all of a sudden things lined up for him. And he realized, wait a minute. Can I tell you, this is not meant to put me in a certain light. This is not about me. This is me right there with you learning from the people of God and understanding that if not careful, we can all become 
familiar, too familiar, the trap of familiarity, and we start losing respect for one another. And when we lose respect for one another, we insult God. And it breaks our worship. Please, God, Moses cried out, heal her. And the Lord said, if a father had spit on her face because she disgraced him or dishonored him, she would have to be removed for seven days. So for seven days, let her think about it, she can come back. How many of you know that's way better than getting toasted? Seven days isolation, I can handle that. God was merciful. God was merciful. Listen to what the New Testament says about this. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So he's saying, respect those that are part of God's leadership team. Big or small, short or tall, whether it's senior pastor, whether it's volunteers, whether it's disciple leaders, whether it's our children's worker, our children's pastors, our children's ministers, our youth ministers, and their leadership. Respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. How important is peace? It's a mark of a true connection with God. Watch what he says in the book of Romans. Love one another with brotherly affection. Now, this is for everyone, not just for those that are in leadership. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. The last thing that interrupts our connection with God is fear. Fear. So, the Bible has a lot to say about fear. In the book of Isaiah, the Bible says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. How many of you know God is saying, I don't even have to use both hands. I just have to use one hand to help you. I'm that powerful. And so God is working all this out with his children. Now we're in chapter like 13, and he moves them that much closer. They're right on the border of the promised land. He says, I need you to pick out 12 spies. Actually, it's more than 12 spies, but it's spies from the 12 uh, tribes. And I need you to go, try, spies from the 12 tribes, I need you to go into the promised land and tell the people what you see. Because I've promised you a land flowing with milk and honey, and I need those to come back and confirm it. And so they were supposed to come back and say, yep, God is a truth teller. God doesn't lie. It's amazing. And so they go into the land, and the Bible says it's the first harvest of grapes, and they pick a cluster of grapes, and it's so large they got to carry it between two men. Come on, guys. How many of you would love going to H-E-B and paying for that cluster by the pound? It would, it would break the bank. You know, like, what happened to the checking account? I bought grapes today, honey. <laughs> or... Honey, I'm going to go buy some grapes. Would you mind coming with me? Because you got to help me carry it. You know, it's like this huge cluster of grapes. And so it was a land flowing with milk and honey. They come back and they basically say, the Lord is true to his word. He's true to his word. Everything is amazing. It's beautiful. It's awesome. It's wonderful. Except for the giants. Like that's a, how many of you know that's a big deal? Giants in the land. 
And you might be asking, what are giants doing there? Is this true? Can I tell you everything this word says is true? If the Bible says there's giants, can I tell you there's giants? Can I tell you something else? In the book of Genesis, the Bible talks about the sons of God, meaning the fallen angels, having intercourse with the daughters of men, that means mortal women, and it uses a specific word for the offspring. The offspring are called Nephilim, where in the Latin it's gigante, which we get the word giant. The Septuagint translated it giant, but the, but the Hebrew actually meant more than just big. It was a mixed race. It was something not normal. So it's really interesting. If you want to go read it, some of you are having your minds blown right now going, what? This is crazy. Okay, stay with me. I'll make it crazier for you. No, I'm just kidding. Straight from God's word, chapter 6 of Genesis. The Bible says this. The Bible says, I'm going to give you homework. You want to read it, you go read it. But it says that Noah found favor. Noah, from Noah's ark, found favor because of his genealogy. It points to his bloodline. Not just that he was a good person, but that he was pure. Now, why would the enemy try to pollute bloodlines? Because God said in the garden when he was pronouncing the curses, you know, things have fallen and things have changed, but from the seed of a woman, I will send my son through the birth canal and he will what? He will be the savior of the world. The enemy hears this and says, I need to pollute as much as possible. God says, not that fast. There's one that still hasn't, his family. I'm going to pull them out. I'm going to put them in the ark. That ark will be a representation of my blood and my son and my salvation. I will cleanse the earth and I'm going to start over. How many of you know he started over, but the Bible says they were giants in the land in that time and after well, wait a minute, he cleared them, but obviously one of Noah's um, daughter-in-laws may have had some of the bloodline. We know that one of Noah's sons ends up being cursed, and the giants are still around. You go like, now? I don't know about now, but I know they were still around when the children of Israel came to Canaan. Now, what are they doing in Canaan? Think. The enemy knows that God has selected that land for who? For his children. Where are you going to put your giants? In Canaan. So the children of God come and counter them and they go, we feel like grasshoppers in their sight. They're going to squash us like bugs. It's going to be horrible. So they come back and they start to spread this bad report. Can I tell you something? Fear spreads. Man of God, be careful with your fear. Be careful with your negativity because it will spread to your family. It will spread to your business. It will spread to your coworkers. It will spread to your, to your circle of influence. Woman of God, be careful with your negativity. Be careful with your fear because it will spread to your husband. And a woman can make a husband a coward just by being fearful day after 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 day. You 
want your man to be to make your family proud and to stand up with courage and bravery, then stand up with courage and bravery right next to him and tell him he can, remind him he can, believe for him and speak God's word over him and you'll see him run through walls for you. It's the truth. And so, woman of God, be careful because you do the same thing to your children, you do the same thing to your circle of influence, it spreads. And you say, well, pastor, what am I supposed to do? God did not give you the spirit of fear. But a spirit of what? Power, love, and of a sound mind. It means use your mind. What? The mind that's been renewed by God's word. And be transformed by the renewing of your mind through God's word. So you say, well, I'm struggling with fear. That doesn't mean you go and deny the, 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 the truth. It means you say, Lord, help me see the truth through your eyes, through a renewed mind by your word. And so you get in your word. Some people say, well, what do I do with my fear? I just deny it. No, don't deny it. Confess it. Go to the Lord. Get in his word and let God strengthen you. Let God strengthen you. Does that mean we as Christians never face fear? No, of course we face fear. Of course we do. But what do we do with that fear? Do we confess it? Do we give it life? And what I mean by confess it, do we speak out that fear, give it life and let it grow? Or do we take it to the throne, we give it to God, and we say, Lord, this fear is not right. It's not from you. God, would you please help me to overcome it? Listen to what the Bible says. Do not be anxious or fearful about anything. But if you do, take it to the Lord in prayer with supplication and petition and add some thanksgiving on it and watch this and the peace of God there's that peace again when you connect with God peace comes and watch what it says peace that's outside of this world that means God's answer may not be what you can get here on this earth if they had taken it to God and said Lord we're facing real giants we're not going to deny it. They're real giants. But we believe that you have the answer, Lord. He may not have said, well, guess what? You're going to overpower them because I've made you chiquitos pero picosos. <laughs> Some of you are going, what does that mean? It means you might be little, but you're like that little chili piquin. You're, you have a strong bite. He might not say that to you. He might say, yeah, you're little and, and they're going to whoop you. Straight up. Hand-to-hand -hand combat, they'll whoop you. But not if I put my spirit in you. Not if I give you the strength of Samson. Not if I rise up within you. You see what I'm saying? His answer is from above. But too many times we keep saying, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. Because you're looking down. Look up. Look up. And the peace of God which surpasses understanding. In one version, it says transcends. You know what transcends means? It's above and beyond this realm. The peace of God, the answers, the confidence comes from above and beyond this realm. I'm way late. I'm, I'm, are you guys okay? Let's keep going. But you have to be careful with this. In the book of Job, the Bible says, what I feared has, be, has come upon me. What I dread has happened to me. Watch this. I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, but only turmoil. 
And so I read the whole chapter, and that statement kind of stands by itself at the end. And I truly believe what God is saying is this. If all you focus on in your pro- is your problem, your problem will get bigger. But if you focus on the power of God, then the power of God becomes more evident in your life. It really does matter what you're focusing on. What you're focusing on. So what are you focusing on? Because what he's talking about here is a self-fulfilling prophecy. A self-fulfilling prophecy. But pastor, we don't believe in the law of attraction. We don't believe in actualization and all of those uh, uh, mystical mumbo-jumbo stuff. No, it's very, very simple. This is what happens. When you focus on the problem and you're filled with fear, you are actually saying, Lord, I, I, I can't trust you on it. So you're asking the Lord to step aside and you're, and you're allowing the enemy to continue feeding you and to continue establishing what he is telling you he wants to do and you're saying yes 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 I receive it instead you need a what immediately shut it down say I don't receive your truth enemy I don't receive your lie I should say I don't receive it Lord renew my mind give me peace that transcends understanding God I have fear I need your help Lord, begin to speak to my soul. Your word says that your perfect love drives out all fear. So God, help me to... Come on now. And when we do that, we understand. Let me put it to you one more way before we finish. My daddy used to tell me when I was little, if I walked into the batter's box and I said... I'm going to strike out, I'm going to strike out, I'm going to strike out. What happens? Strike out. It's the same thing. If you have fear and that's all you think about, that's all you think about, that's all you think about, then you're shutting God out and you're saying yes to the negative. You're saying yes to the enemy. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Say yes to God today. Be determined. To be open to his peace in your life. As the ushers come forward to administer communion, I just wanna, I just wanna ask you to really just, just join with me. There's some things that, that that I need a I need to say yes to the Lord more on. Sometimes I get in my own head and I start thinking, well, this will never happen or this can never be. You know, I, I find that I need to challenge myself to have that young man's faith. You know what I mean by young man's faith? When I was young, I believed anything could happen. We could do anything. Then you get older and you start. There were two people that had young man's faith and it took them into their old age. Joseph, I mean Joshua and Caleb said, we can beat these giants. If the Lord says we can beat them, we can beat them. And so the Lord said, everyone else is going to die, just like you proclaimed. You said, no, we'll never do it, we'll never do it, we'll never do it. Well, you never will get into the promised land then. You have proclaimed your own future. I'm going to give you what you want. You're going to die in this desert. And I'm going to take Jacob, 
I mean, excuse me, Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua into the promised land. They're the only two that believed me for it. Do you realize that by the time Caleb got into the promised land, he was an old man and he went and fought for an entire mountain? You might say to yourself, how does that happen? It happens because the Spirit of God with faith keeps you young. Keeps you young. Today, that's my proclamation to the Lord. Lord, sometimes I let fear, uncertainty, doubt get the best of me. But you did not give me the spirit of fear. You gave me the spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. So Lord, today I confess that to you and I ask you to build me up in strength and courage. I ask you to renew my mind and I ask you, Father, to drive out that fear by your perfect love as you drive me to you, as you hold me close and remind me, remind me of who I am. In Jesus' name, I am forgiven and I am the righteousness of Christ. I love you, church.